Welcome to the College of Europe podcast, where we debate European affairs and more. Hello, and welcome on this new series of the College of Europe podcast. The College is also a place where research and ideas are important. With this new series, we have decided to highlight the research and the publication of our professor and our academic assistants. Learn about their recent books or articles. Enjoy! Hello everyone, um, my name is Edith Topchola. I'm an assistant in the International Relations and Diplomacy Department at the College of Europe and I'm here to present a paper that I co-wrote with a colleague of mine, uh, Salih Bora from Sciences Po Paris. Uh, the paper is entitled Lessons from EU Space Programs for Collective Defense, and it was published in the European Foreign Affairs Review uh, this October 2022. The point of the paper, fundamentally, is to examine what might happen in European defense when looking f towards the future by seeing what happened with space policy. Uh, so European space policy is a, is a field where the EU has been active for quite a while, Uh, compared to European defense. And what we noticed in the academic literature with regards to European uh, defense is that there's a tendency to, to discuss European defense in neo-functionalist terms. So uh, not to be too esoteric in terms of EU integration theory, but uh, there's this idea that uh, within the literature that If the EU does European defense industrial policy effectively, so um, scholars generally point to the European Defense Fund as the primary uh, case of this, then that will lead that will produce spillover effects, which then lead would eventually lead to some kind of defense union, uh, whatever shape that might take. And uh, we've always had some issue with this interpretation. Uh, primarily because we don't believe that there are necessarily any intrinsic links between European defense policy, uh, defense industrial policy and defense policy. Now, that might sound very odd in many ways, but we actually believe that the, this has already occurred in the EU's space programs. European space policy... well. Uh, let's say, yes, space policy, space programs started in the late 90s, but of course cooper you know, European cooperation in space dates back quite a, quite a further bit before that. And what we've seen with the consolidation of, of space programs at the EU level is that while the supranational institutions of the European Union, uh, namely the Commission, do seem to possess, well, at least exert the most control over these programs, when it comes to critical security issues, the Commission is often left in the dark. So if you go into the depths of the documentation uh, and you talk to the, the people who are involved in this, what they'll tell you and what the documents say is that if anything in, the, in space policy relates to defense, or has security implications, say, for example, um, intelligence or uh, data security, that kind of thing, uh, then generally the tendency is for the member states to either have veto powers in those areas or have just such dominant control that the institutions can't 
really impact the policy uh, in that field. Uh, I mean, obviously, we go into a, a lot more detail in the paper. But what we suggest here is that effectively, you know, if you look at the process of how European space policy evolved, in order to convince the member states to participate in a common space policy, the institutions and other actors as well, but mainly the institutions, had to effectively civilianize space. So what happened was that they that the member states and the institutions agreed to segregate, institutionally segregate, both in terms of procedures but even in terms of agencies, the military dimensions of space policy and its civilian aspects. Now, that might seem totally normal, but there's no such thing really as a, civilian, a purely civilian tool in space. Uh, satellites can be used for military applications in, in all sorts of ways, even if they are designated as civilian satellites. So what we think is, you know, this is a good analogy for, for what's happening in defense. A lot of member states, primarily France, we argue, uh, have an interest in a common European defense industrial policy, but few have a real interest in uh, a common let's say, a common army, well, maybe not an army, but at least a defense union. And so member states are really able to effectively, mentally, and also institutionally segregate uh, the defense industrial dimensions from from the uh, defense policy dimensions themselves. Um, and, you know, we thought it was really important to highlight this since, since that distinction really was not very present in the literature. But all this to say... Um, you know, why are our findings useful? Um, I have had a colleague who's already told me that it has circulated in the commission paper. It obviously doesn't mean much for them. I think it's quite a theory-focused paper. But um, what we basically claim is that, of course, while the institutional design will be different, in the long run, um, if the institutions want to play a bigger role in the defense space, they're going to have to convince the member states that that civilian oversight over certain areas is acceptable. Um, and, of course, I think there is a fundamental, say, ontological issue in that the military aspect is always fundamentally uh, military. Uh, if It can't be overseen by civilians. So this does say something, I think, about the future of European defense. Uh, so that's all I have to say about this paper. Uh, thank you for tuning in, and please stay tuned for other podcasts uh, on other papers published by uh, researchers at the College of Europe. Welcome to the College of Europe podcast, where we debate European affairs and more. <laughs>